Pentate is a lifelong progressive serving in Democratic administrations and the Colorado legislature. And most impressively, he's been able to put up with me for decades. I wanted to ask him about a change in attitude with modern day progressives and even conservatives who have a hard time working and even talking with people across the aisle. This is the audio version of our television program, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that show by going to youtube.com and searching for our channel, IITV. That stands for Independence Institute TV, or just go to thinkfreedom.org. You're going to love this discussion. There's one guy who knows a lot about Denver, is the guy who served it. I'm going to use server, public servant, before I really <laughs> insult you. Penfield Tate. Former state legislator, senator, and representative. You worked right. with Governor uh, Romer and Pena, right. the mayor. Right. And then you became a lawyer. Why? <laughs> well, I started as a lawyer and then went to work for Federico when he was mayor of Denver. I worked in his office. And after I did that, I served on Governor Romer's cabinet. And after I left the cabinet, I then got elected to the state house and then the state senate. But I've been a lawyer the entire time. You almost made it to the runoff for mayor this I time did. around. What kind of idiot are you? I mean, I've, <laughs> I've known you a long time, so I, I can answer that question. Why would you want this job? You know, uh, John, I, I really uh, I have firmly believe that mayor of Denver is probably, I think, the most important political role in the state. Um, you're running the, the state's capital. You're responsible for that. So much policy and direction that happens throughout the state sort of emanates from Denver. And the mayor's role, local government, is important to me because it's it's one of the few places where you can make a decision, implement a decision, and if it doesn't work, change it the next day. And that's important. All right, well, let's talk about it. So how's the guy who's in there doing? It's only been a few months. Uh, I've got my opinions, and you can guess them. But how's... How's the new guy doing? You know, I, I, I think they're off to a good start. I, I mean, I will give him credit. One thing he's done is he's identified a priority, which is addressing the situation regarding the unhoused. And he really? has- We're going to go with the unhoused? Are we gonna, do we need to start there? Yeah. Right, the unhoused. That's what we're going to do. Nah. Um, but he's devoted a lot of time, attention, and resources to that. Um, I know the people in the press, and I think somewhat fairly, have remarked that he's been slow to staff up, to build out his cabinet and get people appointed. And have he's got people serving in interim roles for perhaps longer than some other mayor elects have done. But, you know, I, I think at this point, people are pretty pleased with what he's doing. I think he and his team are finding out very quickly that there's a lot to running city government. And, you know, it, it's really, city government is a place where, um, Mistakes get amplified, successes get muted for some reason. But it's the place, it's because it's where everybody's paying attention. It, it most directly impacts their day-to-day -day lives. Michael is a remarkably affable guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I enjoy talking with him. He's always been a kind guy, um, uh, good with a joke, and the light of your smoke and all the rest. Um, I think he's in for a challenge more than he he ever expected. Most Denverites have been, I don't want to say forgiving, that's not the right term, but say, hey, let the new coach try his plays. He's got a, he's, he's got a, he's, he's got a honeymoon period. But it's going to be shorter than he thinks because Denverites are angry. 
we're all pissed. I'm pissed. Uh, and I don't even live here, but I work here, and I have to deal with the issues. I've got to deal with the crime. I've got to deal with the homelessness. I've got to deal with the feces. I've got to deal with the, syrin- the syringes and, I, and the trash and the bottles and the broken windows and this uh, beautiful building that, that we have, which has been broken into and been vandalized and the windows have been crashed by, I don't call them the unhoused anymore because I've lost my compassion mm-hmm. by homeless bums. And, I, and it's awful because there's 99.9% of Denverites who have become victimized by about 1,200, maybe 1,500 people who are living on the streets. Not the other truly unhoused people who are getting help and they're in shelters and they're trying to get their lives together. But there's a criminal element here that Denver, the mayor, city council, past and present, have never really wanted to address. They haven't thought about the others who are being victimized by the mentally deranged, the uh, substance abused folks who do need help but they're not going to get help on their own. They need to be, they need to be arrested for their crimes. Um, when I talked to the police officer who said, I arrested a guy for stealing four cars yesterday, then I arrested him again an hour later for stealing another car because there's no bond, uh, that we have a DA who doesn't keep people in jail. Uh, there, there's an issue there. So I think there's a genuine anger. So let me ask you, will building these pallet homes really help clean up the streets? I've got my suspicions. So the mayor's idea of building a thousand of these homes by the end of the year, and he did, he did promise to do it, so I'll give him credit. He's going to make it happen. I think it's going to enable more of the problem. Convince me that it's not. Or do you think it will? Help me out. Well, sure. I think you're right on a couple of different levels. I think people are very angry very frustrated about the situation regarding the unhoused. I think their frustration built, and it, it goes back really to the Hickenlooper administration. I mean, Hickenlooper promised he was going to end the, 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 uh, the housing situation in 10 years, but he left office in seven, so it never got fixed. Um, Hancock did not make appreciable progress despite a number of programs and maybe spending a lot of money. And as I said, this Mayor Johnston has made it a top priority and it needs to be because during the last election cycle, people were very clear. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired of this situation. Someone needs to fix this. Um, I would offer to you that I think the way Mayor Johnston is headed is one approach for right now. I don't know if Pallet Homes is, I'm confident it is not the only solution. This is a multifaceted problem. You've got to do more than just pallet homes. Temporarily, you need to expand shelter space. You need to come up with a way to allow shelter providers to grow and expand to get more people off the street sooner rather than later. For one inalterable reason, winter's coming. And you don't want a bunch of people living on the street during the winter time. If you think the situation is bad now, I think it gets appreciably worse in the winter time because people feel desperate. People feel that they don't have choices and they may make some bad decisions that may put them in the criminal justice system. Uh, the other thing that, that I, one thing, I wanted to correct one thing you said. I think Mayor Johnston said his plan was to house a thousand people by the end of the year, not necessarily to build a thousand pallet homes. 
Okay. One way or another, a thousand is the number, and I do give him credit for putting the number out there, and as he now knows, he's going to be held accountable to that number. Whether it's homes or people, we need to see a thousand people off the street. So, uh, you know, I think he's got his work cut out for him. Um, clearly, neighborhoods are going to offer some resistance. We've seen some strategies that are accepted by neighborhoods, some that aren't. Um, for instance, there's a church in my neighborhood, I live in Park Hill, that had a safe outdoor site um, Part of last year, earlier part of this year, they, they did the right thing. They let neighbors know what they were doing. They monitored, they secured it, they managed it. And then as they transitioned people out of the situation, they closed down the safe outdoor site. Um, I'm not aware of any neighbors telling me there were problems associated with it. I'm sure there were. I'm sure I just didn't hear everything. But I think by and large, the neighborhood thought it was a success because it got people off the street, transitioned them to someplace else, and then when it was done, it closed down. Uh, but no, the work's there. The work's going to be, he's going to have a big job in front of him dealing with this issue. What I didn't hear from you was, we need to enforce the laws. Oh, no. And that, that's, you know. John, that's, no, no. Uh, to be clear, and what, what, just what, because my, you're my, unhoused, you don't get to be a criminal. Yes, yes, you do. No, you don't. Well, then criminal prove behavior, me wrong because... Criminal behavior needs to be addressed. Now, then why hasn't it been addressed in all these years? And why is it worse now than ever? Why is it that under the, the current uh, uh, and former city council and state legislature, we continue to make it easier and easier to be a criminal in this state and particularly in this city. Will, I, you, will you at least cop to that one? Well, no, because I don't, you won't. No, I don't think people have made it easier to be a criminal. Not people. I, uh, our elected officials certainly yeah, have. I, I don't think that was their personal intent. or cognizant bonds. In well, but there's. Would you it, like to steal cars in any other state? In Colorado. Well, I don't want to steal cars, number if one. If you were, nor do I want. want mine stolen. All right. Your Honor, please, <laughs> would you have the witness answer the question is, if you were to steal cars, what state would you like to steal cars in? Um, I wouldn't steal cars in any Your state. Your Honor, would you please direct the witness to answer oh, the question? John, stop it. You, Come on, you know, I, I know what I'm saying. I know the point you're making. Then will you, will you no, concede to the point? But, 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 John. Will you concede to the point? No, because right. I'm not going to concede that money alone should determine whether after you're arrested, you're released or not. There's, that, there's a fundamental problem that we've had in the criminal justice system, if you want to call it justice, for many years. And that's the presumption that if you have money, you get a certain path through versus people who don't have money. There have been, and, and you know my then legislative why, record, I have attempted to reform a number of these things Then why is Colorado the number one state for auto theft? John, I don't know. Could don't it know. be that when you, it you, could that be you get a ticket and you don't go into jail? Could be, could be, but habitual offenders exist everywhere. Yes, but here they get tickets, they don't go to jail. Well, I understand. Or if they go to jail, sometimes they make bail. Sometimes they get out on personal recognizance. But that, you know, so only Bernie Madoffs of the world get off on PR bonds after they've wrecked millions of people's lives by stealing all so of their money. So it's a matter of equity. Right? No, so. I'm not. Uh, we've got an issue that we have to address. I agree with you that a portion of people who are unhoused 
are engaged in illegal and criminal activity. We need to address that. I agree with you that a portion of people who are unhoused have mental health issues. We need to find them, triage the situation, and try to get them treatment. I, I respect the fact that some people won't voluntarily go into treatment. We're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. I agree with you that a component of the unhoused have substance abuse issues, whether it be alcohol or other drugs, that needs to be treated as well. In many ways, what we see with the population with regard to the unhoused is not unlike what I have always been told about our general prison population. Regardless of who was governor, Republican or Democrat, the vast majority would have told you that the underlying issues that result in people being incarcerated um, may relate to either mental health issues or substance abuse issues because we as a society haven't figured out how to address those things. All very true, mm -hmm. and we should fix those things, but the thing is, we're not. That's and true. To, to the point where the Triangle Bar in Denver, a gay bar, is having to close their doors because their clients don't want to deal with the crime and homelessness to get to the bar. That it's so awful that we here uh, in Independence Institute have to clean up human feces. I have to do it personally. It's not enjoyable. I mean, I don't mind cleaning up my own, but that's not what's out there. And so it's a problem. No, John, and, and so that's what it why is I told you. I crime. agree with you that people are people, angry about this. Because so uh, many of us have been impacted by the Downtown is kind of you, a mess because of this. As a guy who was running for mayor, why do you think a place like Colorado Springs doesn't have this problem nearly to the same extent that... Denver does. I think part of it is a, a, an issue of size of the city, population, and density. I think that's part of it. Could it also be that they actually enforce their camping ban, and when they do enforce their camping ban, they're given a choice, either go to jail or go into the homeless facility and where you have to stay, otherwise you'll go back to jail. Yeah, you know, that could be part of it. I mean, the, I told you this was a multifaceted problem. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to do here in Denver when you are caught trespassing or committing a crime? You have a choice. You go to jail or you're forced into, uh, into the shelter where you must stay. I don't, I, I'm not convinced it's a binary choice like After that. you commit a crime? Well, now, okay. If we're talking about a crime, as I told you, there is a court system and a criminal process that people need to go through for committing crimes. I'm not excusing people breaking the law. That's not what this is about. But what I would offer to you is I think there are a number of people who are unhoused who are not necessarily mentally ill, drug addicts, alcoholics, or criminal. Um, there are people who have been priced out of their ability to rent a place, price out of their ability to buy a home, people who are couch surfing with friends and family, and you know. I'm not talking that, about that, them. Let's, okay. let's be precise. When someone commits a crime. Someone commits a crime, there steals needs to be a, a car, consequence. There needs to be a consequence. Trespasses on our private property and commits a crime, breaks our windows, vandalizes, steals. When they're arrested, should they 
have a choice and go to jail or go into shelter and have to stay there? Or should they be let out on personal recognizant bonds where they can just do it again? I, and I, I know no, you're, you're, no, no, you're no, actor. No. You're actor. No. But, but uh, you're, you're presuming that a PR bond negates the criminal charge. It does not. Just because you're on bond, I guess you still asking. have to appear in court and face the music on the criminal charge you've been cited for. I don't see that many people are facing the music. Okay, and, and I will confess to you, I don't know the, the, I don't have the data, I don't know the numbers on that. But in my experience, if someone is charged, even if they get a PR bond at some point, they have to go into court and answer the charges, and if they're found guilty, there is a consequence at that point. It may be incarceration, it may be sentenced to community corrections or halfway house, there may be, I don't know what it is, but typically that's where the penalty phase comes in. So in Colorado Springs, the camping ban is enforced. Okay. Should it be enforced in Denver? Um, I think it is, but ours, I don't, I don't know about the camping ban in the Springs. One thing I do know is- Camping ban is certainly not enforced in Denver. Well, when I've talked to police officers here, one of the things they'll tell you is the way our camping ban is written, is that when you contact someone who is unhoused, the first obligation is to call some sort of emergency services and try to get them placed in a shelter or in a facility. And if that is not an option, I think the, the law enforcement has limited flexibility in what they can do at that point. Um, Actually, but, if there are up to seven people in one area, mm -hmm. it's no longer a police issue and now goes to the health department. The police can't even get involved. Okay. So if, if seven people camp outside of uh, Penfield Tate's home, you can't even, it's not a police issue any longer. So you're talking about the desire for a different sort of camping ban rather than the one we have. That's what you're saying. Yeah. You're saying the Springs has something different. A camping ban. Okay. That you I, can't see, sleep outside. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what they have in the Springs. I, I have to confess that. I don't know All what right. they have. All right. I think we're going to go circular on this if we keep going much further. <laughs> uh, I just believe that Denverites really do want a camping ban and want it enforced. I think Denverites want the situation addressed in a meaningful way where there aren't a bunch of people living on the streets, where there aren't a bunch of people living on the streets, a component of which are committing crimes like stealing bikes, stealing cars, where there aren't a bunch of people living on the streets who are a component of which are taking drugs or drinking or have mental health issues. I think Denverites want to see the situation addressed in a meaningful fashion. Um, and that's what the challenge this mayor this new mayor has, is how do you address it in a meaningful fashion, understanding that it's a diverse population and different folks in the population of the unhoused have different issues that you need to take into consideration. But you're right. The bottom line is people in Denver are angry and frustrated. They want to see this issue addressed. My suspicion is that just like Hickenlooper throwing money and services at the problem, and calling it the road home. Johnston is doing the same thing at a higher speed and a higher velocity. And it's going to do a lot of the same. It's going to subsidize a lot more of the same programs that without some sort of 
enforcement component, without some sort of hard reality check, without some tough love, without some sort of camping ban, without some sort of consequences, he's not going to be successful. He's only going to get more of the same. And I have a feeling in two years and in four years, we're going to be in this situation and it's not going to change and it could even get worse. Um, if it doesn't change or gets worse, this mayor will have difficulty getting reelected because people don't have that much patience for the situation any longer. You're right about that. People are angry, they're upset. We're gonna find out. All right, let, no. I, wanna, I wanna switch gears. When you were in the legislature, um, we disagreed on all sorts of things. Left and right had a very different tone. Mm -hmm. um, we could still have beer. Uh, we would joke and laugh. Ken Gordon would be on this show with me all the time and we would throw insults at each other and have more fun than two people. And, you know, I call him a communist. He called me a fascist. It was <laughs> terrific. Um, that has changed so much uh, on, on both ends. On both, mm -hmm. you know, on both sides have gotten very polarized. Uh, but I've, I've noticed a couple things. One, Republicans don't matter anymore. That is, Republicans have no power in this state. None. Zilch. All right, so you can be mean to Republicans, you can say how awful they are and what terrible people they are, maybe even be true, but it doesn't matter. All the levers of power are owned by Democrats. And I've noticed that Democrats have become much more intolerant lately. It is hard to have those conversations. It's, it's hard to have um, that fun. And I'm finding they seem to be a bit more intolerant. I'm having a hard time finding guys like you. And when I talk to guys like you who remember the old days, pri privately they'll go, yeah, there's some crazy things going on right now. A lot more, they'll say cancel culture privately. They won't say it publicly. What I mean by this is there's some good old fashioned ACLU types, the old ACLU types, who would go, yeah, you know, we could say things and talk and be different and have real ideological diversity. There wasn't this uh, kind of shut up, we're gonna force you to say this or force you to say that. Um, in committee meetings now at the Capitol, I see committee chairmen and committee people shutting up witnesses. I've never hmm. seen that before. I'm sensing what happens when you have single power happening? Tell me what you see. Not just between the two powers, but I'm starting to see that there are a lot of Democrats who I sense are scared to stand up to the far left of their party and say, you guys are going too far because they're fearful of losing power. I will even say that our governor could be one of them. You know, John, um, interesting observation. Uh, I think what we've seen over time is, is not just a swing of the pendulum, but a, but a shift in the paradigm. And here's what I mean. From my perspective, I got elected to the legislature. I was elected in 96, began serving in 97. The, the reason I use that frame of reference is when I went into the body, term limits that were passed in 92, had not yet begun to kick in. 
it wasn't until I'd been there two years, four years, where a number of people who had served for a long time were term limited out of office and had to leave. And that created a couple of different dynamics. Number one, the body, the House, the Senate, lost a lot of the institutional knowledge and frankly, some of the institutional relationships that kept things in place because people were leaving. The second thing it did was it created in many ways a scorched earth approach to legislating and governing. And here's what I mean. When I first went in, the issue that you just described that you see on the left existed on the right, but the dynamic was you had what I would call moderate Republicans, Lincoln Republicans, Rockefeller Republicans, who were sort of the backbone of the Colorado Republican Party being challenged by at the time what were religious right Republicans who tended to be intolerant from my perspective, tended to focus on one or two or three social issues that to them were litmus test, which was difficult because a lot of the Republicans who were serving before would tell you as Republicans, that's not even stuff government should be bothered with. We shouldn't even be talking about choice in this other stuff. Those are private matters. We need to focus on fiscal policy, keeping the state running, and making sure kids are getting educated and the streets are safe. And, and so what you described now, I witnessed during much of my career in the House where moderate or centrist Republicans were often shouted down, were isolated, were denied committee assignments because they weren't part of what was then the religious right, which was sort of ascendant in, in Colorado Republican politics. Then what happened is a number of those Republican religious right candidates would win primaries and lose the general election, which was why in 2000, when I went over to the Senate, it was the first time ever in decades that Democrats actually had a majority and we were in the majority in the Senate. We weren't necessarily smarter or brighter or more clever, but the uh, Republicans- uh, uh, I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> Nobody's wrong all the time, John. <laughs> <laughs> but the Republican Party outsmarted itself. They would nominate these candidates who I felt and who Colorado voters showed you're out of step with Coloradans. That's not what we care about. We care about some core things. So in a contest between the extreme Republican candidate and a Democrat who was not perceived as extreme, the Democrat won. So we took the majority. Then the state began to shift and evolved. And now you have Democrats in control of both chambers with a Democratic governor, which, you know, has been the situation for a while. To your point, I think in some respects, the same thing is happening with both parties. I think on the Republican side, you have those who align with the former president, who, uh, well, shoot, they just ousted the Speaker of the House. Um, but what they did is they did it in concert with Democrats who sort of said, we're just gonna let you blow yourselves up. I don't know if I would have agreed with that approach, but that's what happened. But I think the same thing's happening in the Democratic Party. Um, I think that over time, what it means to be a moderate or liberal Democrat has evolved 
And so now you see people talking about, are you a democratic socialist? Are you not progressive enough? You know, and I recently ran for city council and, and I wasn't successful and I didn't get some endorsements in part because I don't identify as a democratic socialist. Uh, I'm a Democrat. Um, I am a capitalist. I'm a businessman. I own my own business. Have always been um, someone who had was a businessman, uh, and so you know, I just tell them honestly, I, I don't agree with Bernie Sanders on everything. I don't agree with anybody on everything, um, but I'm not necessarily there. And no, there were some people who said you're not liberal enough for us, which I just find fascinating based on how people saw me when I served in the legislature from 97 to 2003. Um, if you'd have told them that I wasn't liberal enough, they would have gone out and had a drink or something, <laughs> like the world's gone upside down. So I think that is happening in the Democratic Party. And I think the Democratic Party needs to learn the lessons of the past. I think that if you nominate candidates who are viewed by the bulk of Coloradans as too extreme, you, you may get them in the primary, but you're going to start losing some general elections. Let me say a couple things. I think there's, would you say there's a lot of truth to that? And I remember uh, when Republicans started losing because the religious right wing started winning in these primaries because primaries are more easy to game. It's a different crowd. It's, yeah. it's a different crowd, especially when you make sure you get your group out. That's right. Uh, two things, though. When Republicans had the Senate, it was only a few years that we had a Republican governor. Mm -hmm. So there was always a check and balance. We always had Democrats, it seemed, in as a governor. So we've always had mixed checks and balance. You know, for a couple of years, we had a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and Republican governor. Uh, and so that was, that was nice, but it wasn't a hardcore you know, right-wing cabal. You know, there was a moderate, uh, moderate Republican Party at the time. When the left has these primaries now between a, uh, a Democrat and a socialist, the socialists seem to be winning the primary and then the general. So your warning doesn't seem to be working quite yet. It seems as though... Um, I'll use my terms, the commies are winning both elections and they're taking over the legislature, which I'm not certain that voters in Colorado have woken up to just how leftist this government is on, on so many levels. I mean, we, we've got somebody, uh, we've, we've got a democratic socialist out there waving the Hamas flag during the invasion of, of, of Israel, it's like, well, this, is, this, this has changed uh, quite, quite a bit. So I don't believe Colorado in its bones is, is a pro-tax state. I don't believe it is a pro-regulation state. Uh, I think socially, yeah, this, this is a pro-weed state. This is a pro-choice state. This is a pro-environmental state. This is a pro-LGB state. I don't think it's a woke state. Uh, I think the leaders are out of step. I think it's going to take some time for, for voters to realize what you've just said to be true. 
that a lot of these folks are out of step. I don't think the Democratic Party has any sense that they're out of step. Why would they know they're out of step? They have every lever, lever of power. Well, I disagree am I, am I, with you yeah, to what, an am, what, what am I wrong on? Well, I, I'm not convinced when you say you don't believe the Democratic Party believes it's out of step with Coloradans. I think there are people in the Democratic Party who worry that some of the issues that the party has advocated for are bridged too far. That there are some things that Coloradans I know that to be true. I know that to and, be true. Then, then let me ask you this uh, one. Then why don't they speak up more loudly? Some people speak up. They may not speak up publicly, but they do speak up. And people know that there are differences of opinion. There is some dissension. Uh, a, a couple other things to observe. But, but more specifically, me, the governor. I mean, the governor is going to take... Uh, the rap for this in the long term because he signs so many of these bills. Yeah, he'll veto a, a bill here and there and beat his chest and get uh, the Wall Street Journal flack to say, oh, what a great governor standing up for this tiny bill he vetoed. But we're going to live with the wreckage. And we, we know the truth. And so there have been so many Democrats that know better that haven't spoken up publicly. And I'm really curious about that. You may be, maybe inside the circles, you know the, you know the signals that they're all <laughs> saying, wait, they're going too far. But outside here, we don't, I don't see anybody. Whereas when social conservatives were going too far, there were lots of Republicans going, you social conservatives are going way too far. Some, some. I mean, I, I, I served at the time and I, I can if Some I, is a whole I, lot more than none. If I had one, I had a million conversations on the side wall of either the House or the Senate, and a Republican would tell me, I don't know what my party's doing. I don't know what this person is doing. This is off the wall, but I can't stop it. I'm like, well, help me. Let's make some noise. Oh, no, I don't want to make any noise. I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it. Um, you know, I know you and I disagree on fiscal policy. One of the things that I spent a lot of time in the House arguing about was, we passed a lot of permanent tax cuts that I thought should have been Tabor refund mechanisms, which is what ultimately led us to um, Initiative C and D during the Owens administration. Because, my again, my perspective, the extreme flank of the Republican Party went overboard with tax cuts, sometimes to curry political favor with certain areas of influence, and bankrupted the state. We didn't have enough money to do even the core things that most Coloradans thought we had to do, which is why even Governor Owens supported Ref C and Ref D, because he felt he did. we'd gone too far. Um, talking, the flat tax cuts, something we strongly, I strongly supported, and obviously still do. Mm -hmm. uh, special interest tax cuts, completely different. Yeah. different and, and one day, different. let's have a conversation about Tabor, because you know one of the issues I've always had with what we did to ourselves as a state is if you look at Colorado's history before Tabor, when the legislature saw we were flush, they, raised, they lowered taxes. When they saw we needed to do things to take care of some things, they raised taxes. But they had the flexibility to move things up and down. Tabor As they changed still all that. do. No, John, you all and I both know. All you need to do is ask. What is, no, why, these, why do liberals hate consent? My God, consent is such a terrible thing. Either you want representative government or you don't. 
if you elect people to serve in a House and a Senate, hopefully you're electing people who have enough sense to pay attention, to study the issue, Funny, I, I and remember, then take action I based on the circumstance. elected people actually respected the voters and respected their right to consent. And you respect mm. the and voters. And the Constitution. You respect the, well, it's in the Constitution now. Then that, but it wasn't then in the Constitution before. why do they go around before. and call them fee increases to try to sneak around that? Could it be that they don't respect voters? No, because the courts have determined there's a difference between a fee and a tax. Only a lawyer you would may, say that. No, that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. Just as the court has interpreted Tabor and Ref C and the Education Amendment and Gallagher and a host of other things. So, but no, I, I to, to your to the to where we started. I think that, and it's a national phenomenon. It, it's even exacerbated on the federal level. It being what? Just to clarify, the inability to disagree without being disagreeable, the lack of tolerance, the but, lack but my of the question ability. Was why the left doesn't call their own? I think they do, and maybe it's because I hang out more with these folks than you do. But and I'm, maybe it's because I'm involved in some of these conversations where we talk about what in the world is this? Where did this idea come from? Whose idea was this? And who's going to blow this up? Um, there is some of that occurring. I, I still need to press you on this. Sure, go ahead. When the religious right was doing what they were doing, and you were talking about, it was in the media. It was in the news. There were opinion pieces. There were op-eds. There were house editorials. There were commentators. There were Republicans writing those editorials. There was this civil war inside the Republican Party going, they're crazy. And the hard right religious people going, no, we got to put you know, the commandments in the classrooms or whatever it was. And there, there it was. I see None of that. Now, you might be having your cocktail parties uh, and, uh, or, or your weed parties, whatever you guys do in the left, but we're not seeing it <laughs> I don't, go to weed parties. I but, don't but see con- any of that out in the, in the town square. And will there's you a couple of reasons will for agree? that. All right. I will, but I will tell you there are a couple of reasons okay. for that. When I served in the legislature, the press was there all day, every day at these tables on the floor of both chambers watching what was happening recording what people said, what they did, and putting it out there for the public to see. Sadly, the press as I knew it and grew up with it in the political environment doesn't exist anymore. There's still some press. Will you admit that the press might be a bit more friendly to one side than the other? I don't know if I would say that. What I will tell you is, I think, although I didn't, often agree with them. I think the loss of the Rocky was a loss for the state. I think having the Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post both covering the same issue from very different perspectives was a benefit to the people of the state and the region. Um, It's the same reason why you have CNN and you have Fox and you have one. You, You need to hear different perspectives and get different people's takes on things and then start forming your own opinions and deciding what you think we is do have the denver post and now the denver and gazette. The gazette and i think that has helped but but i'm still not seeing it even with those two papers because because i'm not seeing the op-eds i'm not seeing again i go back to it i'm going to ask you about it one last time i'm not seeing democrats 
write those op-eds. I'm not seeing Democrats publicly saying our party is out of touch. This is getting crazy. I'm publicly saying we need to rein it in. I think you have some Democrats who are saying... Who? Name a particular, name. Oh, gosh. I, name I, some names. I'm not able to name a name right now off the top of my head. Because they're not. Um, all right. I mean, I, I don't agree with you. I think that um, in conversations I sit in on and in public forums I attend, there are people who say, I don't agree with that. We've gone too far. Um, and we'll see what happens. But, you know... Here's the other thing that's different, John, and, I, and, and, and I'd appreciate getting your take on this. Um, the Colorado we have now versus the Colorado we had 10, 15, 20 years ago is much younger, much more affluent. I think in many ways it's less diverse than it was years ago. Um, and it can, Colorado has always had large immigration of people from other places. I think that's even more so the case now. So I think one of the things that's difficult to assess is, to your point, you, ask, you, you say that maybe the legislative bodies are out of step with where Colorado is. I'm not necessarily sure I know where Colorado is. That's a great this question. Colorado is on every issue anymore. Um, I would have told, so for instance, you know, I've spent a lot of time over the last four or five years, um, arguing about and seeking to preserve the former Park Hill golf course for recreation and open space. And we have battled a developer. We battled our own city government for years, won three elections by a two to one margin. But what I found interesting is a number of folks who didn't support preserving that space for open space and recreation were some younger, affluent, what I would call newer arrivals to the region who see no problem with just doing dense development everywhere. That's not something, that's not a sentiment you would have necessarily seen in younger Coloradans 15, 20 years ago. And so having worked on that issue very closely, having been very involved in it, um, I've had some aha moments when I've sat back and said, oh, goodness, okay, maybe things are shifting around here. I have friends who come and visit me, or college friends, and I've noted that the character on the street, mm -hmm. the, the friendliness of Colorado has changed. It is not as friendly. It is not as pleasant. And when I have my friends come in and they haven't been here for 10 years or 15 years, they will notice people are not as nice as they used to be. That there's a change to that, that, that sweetness that Colorado had, the pleasantness that Colorado had is gone. And when you look at the demographics, you notice that most of the in-migration is from first California, which explains a lot of the political <laughs> change. Secondly, from New York. Thirdly, from Illinois, which also ex ex explains the comfortableness with a lot more government regulation and higher taxes. More interestingly to me is the out-migration. The states where they are out-migrating are Wyoming, Texas, Florida. The places that were more like Colorado used to be. Smaller taxation states, places where you have more personal liberty and freedom, more pro-gun states, that you could 
you know, so the people who had more of what I call the Colorado character, uh, are, I'm in my own family, who said, I can't take this anymore. I'm out of here. Well, and there are also states with, I think, no personal income tax because right. they're subsidized. In, so the cost of living is lower in some places in those states than it is in Colorado right. now. Right. Yeah. And, if, and if you're making money, if, uh, where are you going to go? Someplace with a lower income tax. But the point being, yeah, the character of the demographic change is, is, is different. And also, I'm old now. And I might just be a cranky old bastard who goes, oh, you damn kid, I don't know, skateboards. And, you know, I, and I, so I have to be careful that it's not just me being yeah. old and grumpy and not liking change because change is bad. Remember that. All change is bad all the time <laughs> at a certain age. All right, let, let's, let's wrap this up with a, a couple things. The, the polarization Let's take it out of Colorado. It's, I'm, I'm kind of curious because we do see the world so very differently. Yeah. I see it correctly. You've got serious issues. Um, we're going to entering a remarkably interesting year. I don't know what's going to happen. The possibility that we're going to see two presidents run uh, for election uh, is, is probable at this point. This hasn't happened for like a century. Nobody wants this that I know of. Well, there are a few people who want it. Um, it this could be the, the, the ugliness, the, the, the rudeness that we've been seeing. You know, there are people on the Democratic side who don't want the president to run. There are Republicans who go, oh, I don't want the former president to run. And so, and, you, and if any, any Democrat but Biden runs, person will likely become president. If any Republican other than Trump runs, I know many will disagree, that person will likely become president. You know, so we're this, you have this really bizarre yeah. dichotomy. I believe there is a much higher possibility of Trump becoming president than most people are willing to admit. Uh, also, depending on economic conditions, which I think in a year from now could be, could be not severe, but a, a lot worse than they are now. Um, and the media is going to make this guy a s superstar again. Uh, and so electing a guy in jail is quite possible in my, my book. Give me, look in your crystal ball. Uh, I agree with part of your premise. I think there are a sizable number of Republicans who don't want the former president to be their nominee. I think there are a sizable number of Democrats in their not only becoming more outspoken, but their actions speak volumes also that don't want the current president to be the what nominee. What kind of actions? Oh, gosh. You're going to have to really... Anybody pushing him down the stairs? Is that what well, you're talking about? No, but you're going to have to really do some talking to convince me that Gavin Newsom doesn't want to run for president of the United <laughs> States right now. Right now. Oh, you think there might be a um, primary? We haven't seen that since... Since Ted Kennedy challenged Carter. And I'm not convinced there'll be a primary challenge. What I think is happening in both parties is the levers are being pulled behind the scenes. I think there are a number of Republicans who are working their darndest to tell the former president, you really can't do this. Yeah, that's good. And the by party. the way, that, that should work. That, he listens to that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> and I think there are a number of Democrats behind the scene who are telling current president and some of his advisors, look, you know, Mitt Romney put it best, 
it's time for another generation to step up here and let some other folks sort of move into the forefront and be the standard bearer for the party. So I think that dynamic is occurring. Um, I don't know how successful they'll be in either party in, in convincing the presumptive nominees not to continue the quest, but to stand down and allow something else to develop. It would be interesting chaos on both sides of the aisle to see what happens. Um, but regardless of what happens, John, I think you and I both agree, we need a measure of civility to return. Oh, fuck you, we don't. <laughs> to the public forum so that we can have the, uh, you're full of crap sometime, but you know I'm right. <laughs> yes, you're um, right. On this one. Yes, you're right. Uh, you, you, gotta, you gotta be able to disagree without being disagreeable. You gotta be able to say that even I, Penfield Table, acknowledge that on rare occasion, John Caldera is right about something. It pains me to I say it, I but on rare occasion, out. He, he's right about something. We've gotta get back to that because America has in many ways been a standard bearer on a bunch of different levels. And I think a number of people around the world are looking at us and sort of asking, What's wrong with these people? What's going on there? Let me throw this out. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Mm -hmm. I, I was elected uh, to the RTD board in 94, and it was fascinating, and I've been in politics ever since. And I've had the most interesting relationships with my political opponents. Mm -hmm. you, you know, um, that I've met fascinating people We've had fascinating fights, and only in the last 10 to 15 years have I had no contact with them. Do you know what I mean? That, that we haven't had a beer, that we haven't had an argument. Not a fight, an argument. Sit down and go, no, that doesn't make any sense. What the hell are you thinking? And yeah. you do this, and then afterwards, we insult each other the way you and I insult each other. I mean, and... To, to see each other uh, saying, wait a second, we are trying to get to the same ends, um, but we're coming at it from different premises. And um, I, I think about the late, great Dick Lamb as a, as a true Coloradan, that here's a guy who was always checking his own premises. I've, I've never known a guy quite like Dick Lamb in, in that way. And um, uh, journalists like... Vince Carroll at the, at the Rocky and, and then the Post. You know, guys who are always thinking and, and challenging and, you know, telling me I'm full of it and occasionally going, all right, I do see your point there. You know, there was, there was a vibrancy about that. And the politics of that Twitter hate, um, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to uh, gather this and we're going to put you under because that's how we win elections. And a lot of that came as the the, the left, I think, perfected the politics of personal destruction. I think guys like Rocky Mountain gun owners and um, Dudley Brown really helped pioneer that technique in, in um, um, those primaries that you talked about of Oh, look at that guy. We've got a we've got a picture of him coming out of the Diamond Cabaret that yeah. we helped stage. You know, that kind of that kind of real awful, you know, 
it's not about what the guy's going to vote on. We're just going to, you know. And then once you have the social media to be able to amplify it on ugliness, um, yeah, there is no, there is no communication. And I don't know where, where yeah, it leads. I, I'm not certain where it leads either. I mean, one of the difficulties, I think I, I agree with you in, 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 in many respects. Um, one of the problems I have with social media is the veil of anonymity allows people to act far worse than they normally would face-to-face. You know, but when, when I talk to folks um, our age or older, we talk about when you had a disagreement in the schoolyard, you didn't have social media. One person told another person, and you confronted the person, and guys had fistfights. Um, and then the matter got solved, and it was put to rest. Now, you know, I see kids going after each other on social media, and it's, it's ruthless. It's ruthless. You also it, have constant or, or forever memory. Oh, yeah. So you say something, um, you, you say something which is correct for the time. Oh, he's a very nice colored man. And then, you know, which is acceptable in 1962. Yeah. And then, you know, 30 years later, oh, my God, did you hear what he said? And you pull up the clip, and he's a racist. Yeah. Well, and... I've seen things like that. And it'd be one thing if you pull up the clip of what someone said in 52 or 62 versus if someone called me a colored man today. It's like, wait a minute, what? Stop. Hold. Yeah. Which is a different thing. No, the, for memory, it, the forever memory is an issue. The anonymity is an issue. But the conundrum we have, and, and I don't know the answer to this, is you don't want to censor people because I don't think that's right. People have a right to express their opinions, but somehow we've got to figure out in this world of Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and all this stuff, we need some guardrails on civility and propriety. And I don't, I, I'm not a tech person, so I don't know what the right answer is. Also, I but don't want to get rid out. of anonymous speech either, because anonymous speech does protect people. There are people, it, I mean, I go yeah. back to the founding of the NAACP, that if you if you, uh, people who gave money to that, to the speech of that, if they were found out, they would have been lynched. Sure, sure. No, I think you're right. The people who who gave money to Planned Parenthood down in Colorado Springs, would you want to find out who they were when the guy came to shoot people? No, no, no. Anonymity has its place. But I think, that's why I said, I don't know the answer, John, but we need some guardrails. Some of this anonymous vitriol has got to be stopped because it, it doesn't promote discourse. It doesn't promote honest conversation. It doesn't promote meaningful understanding between people. It just pisses folks I mean, off. All right, well, let's wrap this up. Give me a prediction for next year. Um, nationally. Nationally. Um, you got about a little over a year to go. Um, I don't think anybody's going to be able to talk Biden down. I think he's going to be the Democratic nominee. Um, I think um, Donald Trump, I, I think that's a crapshoot. I, I think that, that, if he's going to be the nominee, yeah, I, I think that there is, and I think that the the really extreme Republicans have hurt themselves by, um, you know, deposing the speaker because I think that they are raising the temperature among moderates and others who are saying enough's enough, and I think it may have a backlash effect on the former president. Don't know for sure. We'll see what happens, but um, I think that's a possibility. 
Uh, I think if it's Trump, Biden all over again, I, I don't know what this country's going to do. I just don't know. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah. Hey, you said on occasion, even I'm right. I, I, I want to say that I've known you a long time, and you have never once been right. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. such is my thing. Except, except <laughs> when you just said that on occasion, I'm right. Well, no, 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 no. I'm never right, so I couldn't have been right about that either. <laughs> hey, Ben, let's do this again. Mr. John, Wilson. my pleasure. We were always we great. To. We Thank to. you so much. Thank you. Glad to be here. If you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend. And I hope you'll subscribe and follow the show. We have new ones released weekly. Remember, this audio was taken from our TV show. To watch it, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations.